Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wayward Podcast. I'm Haley. I'm Jordy. And I'm Ashley. Today we are going to be talking about The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which is Ashley's favorite, one of her favorite books of all time. Ashley made it our book club pick for this month. Well, for September. Okay, September. Ashley, give us why you love it so much. It's equal parts the book itself and the nostalgic attachment to the time that I read it in because when I first read it I was a junior in undergrad and I really really fixated on it with my best friend and we just both kind of went wild and did not exactly interpret it in the way that it should be interpreted which is a satire we took it very much at face value and we're like (laughs) oh my god this is so like aesthetic this is so cool (laughs) but really now that I am older and less stupid (laughs) um, I appreciate it even more for what it like actually is (laughs) which is a very layered discussion of class uh, elitism in academic institutions really just like a lot of different social dynamics are at play in the book and I think that one of the kind of things that people sometimes don't really like about it is that it's very wordy and has like a lot of detail but that was something that I really love about it is that I feel like it adds like a lot of color a lot of depth and just a lot of different dimensions to it yeah so I went into this knowing that this book was one your like all-time favorite you talked about at the bookstore all the time and I also knew that it was really popular and so many people talked about it so many people love it and so I was really excited to kind of get into it and see what all the hype was about and for me it kind of took me on this emotional roller coaster of a journey where like you said it can be very wordy and so it was like okay, like, I would start feeling like, okay, we're getting into something because I was like, oh, this is gonna be kind of like a, a thriller, but with like dark academia vibes. So when it kind of, this isn't a spoiler, it tells you who dies up front, like in the prologue. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm so excited to see how this all plays mm-hmm. out. And my biggest gripe, which if this is the biggest gripe of the entire book, it's really not that bad. I love when books have not super short chapters, but chapters to where it's like, okay, like I feel like I'm making progress. And this book is almost 600 pages long and there's only eight chapters. When I saw that, I was just like, bong, like this is gonna be a doozy. But it was fun because, you know, you kind of get into all of these kids' lives and what's happening. And the pacing was very different for me too. I felt like at certain parts it was fast and then it would kind of slow down. But overall it was, it was, fun. I'm, I'm just glad that I can say that I've read it now because like so many other people have read it and now I can You're like actually have fun. a conversation with them. I think it's cool. Ashley, you mentioned succession, how everyone is just terrible and like you can't root for anybody, but you kind of do. I felt like that was very similar to the characters in there. It's like nobody's great, but I guess I kind of like you and you, but not really, but okay. Like, if I have to root for somebody, I can pick somebody. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So I really liked that. It was, like, major, like, succession, which is also, like, satire of. So it's true. Goes hand in hand. And what was that fun fact you shared about the designer or the costume person for succession? Oh, 
Yeah, so Donna Tartt based a lot of the secret history on her experiences at Bennington. So a lot of the characters in it are based on very specific real life people. And so the character in it, Judy Poovey, the real woman that she is based on is now the costume designer on Succession, actually. Yeah, that was so awesome. I was like, that's so cool. And Judy Poovey was my favorite out of anyone mentioned (laughs) in this entire book. She's a queen. She really is. She was, I feel like, the only real one in this whole story. Yeah, maybe they, we shouldn't have the book from her perspective. Oh, they, they, somebody, somebody said that. Yeah, like, somebody what? said I'm that. I'm not going to take those way out. Was that you who said that, Ashley? Probably. I don't know. I would say that. (laughs) Also, another thing that some more wisdom you imparted on us was how Donna Tartt, and I'm blanking on the other author of, I think it was American Psycho, were friends. Oh, Brett Easton Ellis. Yes. So share with everyone else what that little (laughs) Easter egg tidbit information is. Okay, so Brett Easton Ellis uh, famously wrote American Psycho, Rules of Attraction. Um, Those are really the two important ones for this to know. So first, just kind of another layer to it. Those two are connected because the main characters of each of them are actually brothers. And so by that same token, American Psycho also exists in this weird extended universe. But the other connection is both The Goldfinch and The Secret History also exist in the same universe with these two other books. So basically, Brett Easton Ellis and Donna Tartt both went to Bennington together and they were both friends and so Brett Easton Ellis was able to read really early manuscripts of the secret history before it was even published and he had already been published multiple times at this point so in his book Rules of Attraction there is a very brief cameo of the Greek class from the secret history it's really nothing of note unless you know specifically that he had read the manuscript and made the conscious choice to like include them in it just briefly but that firmly establishes that the secret history, the Goldfinch, which those two are also connected because Francis appears in the Goldfinch as well. And he's one of the main characters in the secret history. But like those four books are like a weird multiverse. Yeah, I, I remember saying this feels very Taylor Swift-like <laughs> masterminds of Donna Tartt. Right? So I'm completely here for it that all of these things are connected. All right. So who would you say is your favorite character or your favorite part of this book? Okay, so probably a tie between Francis and Camilla. Francis probably slightly more because I feel like objectively speaking, like as you guys pointed out, they're all terrible people. I would argue that he is the least terrible. And he's just in the same way that I'm able to kind of like overlook his faults and like whoopify like Kendall Roy. I very much do that to Francis as well, where I'm like, oh, he's just a little guy. Like he's fine. (laughs) My poor little meow meow, as you say. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so you've read it, I know, several times. What's something that, like, sticks out to you the more that you read it? I feel like the foreshadowing is kind of like an obvious thing but because it kind of goes back and forth it starts really with like this bomb of again not really a spoiler because it's quite literally like the first sentence of the book just this bomb of knowledge that somebody who is a very significant character dies having that knowledge in mind already like the first time you read it is interesting because you can see like the build up to it but each and every time there's like little tiny details especially with I'm trying to think of the way a way to phrase this that's not like super spoilery but Henry in particular is very calculating 
And so you start to notice more and more little things that he does leading up to the climax of the book, where he is basically moving all of these chess pieces all over the board in ways that I didn't even necessarily pick up on the first time I read it. Yeah, I felt like the more I got into reading this book, the more I was kind of like, because at first I didn't really understand the whole satire part of it until like, obviously you start reading a little bit more and you're like, oh, okay, I kind of see what's happening here. And for me, that part of it, it was like weird because I just kept getting more and more frustrated with all of the characters. And I feel like you're supposed to feel that way. I don't know if you are, if you're supposed to like feel something else toward them. But I was just like, uh, by the end, I was like, all of these people got what was coming to them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, definitely. I feel like even within the context of the book, it's really important to consider like the time and place that it takes place in, which I I saw, I want to say it was like in a blog post where somebody was like talking about it. But it's something that really stuck with me for context is that it takes place in the 80s. And so imagine everything that you think of when you think of like 80s culture, just lots of neons and Madonna and like all sorts of like pop kind of stuff. (laughs) And then look at these characters and like the disconnect between like them who they are basically existing in this weird time warp compared to what else is going on around them. And so even if they weren't as like secretive and clicky as they were, they still would stand out on campus as weird and different. And so it's really like they're supposed to be the butt of a joke I feel like from the (laughs) get-go yeah and like one of the oddest things is that anyone who's a part of this little group just because they're in the like classical studies or whatever is their professor teaches them like each subject that they're a part of it was just so odd and you can kind of see at the beginning where they kind of try to point out like oh it's like kind of weird that you know, you guys are doing this and you're not getting any other perspectives and it's almost, well, like it is cultish. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was like an interesting aspect to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because for a cult leader, arguably, Julian is fairly hands-off when it comes to like the actual culty elements because he gives them all the tools they need to just go absolutely ballistic but is not actually involved in like the actual chaos of everything. So it's really weird. I think the way that I phrased it in the book club meeting was something along the lines of like, he gave them the matches but he didn't necessarily light the flame. Yes. Mm, It honestly gives off like social experiment vibes. Like Oh, we went to a school where they did, and it just makes me uncomfortable, but they did, like, the Nazi social experiment where kids had, like, the red bands, and then some people were, that's just terrible, but it's a social experiment to see, like, what people do with that type of power, and it's like, ugh, it's like he just was playing with people. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like, that's just not okay to ever do, especially to young minds. Leave it there. One last question. All right, Ashley, if you were to convince anyone to pick up this book and to read it, what would be your little elevator pitch? So the way I describe it to people at the bookstore uh, when I'm trying to force people to buy it is it's about a group of absolute idiots who think that they are the smartest people in the room and they are educated, yes, but they have absolutely zero common sense and it's them being idiotic to the point where it gets dangerous and like very violent in a way that's very jarring. The person that's the most shocking death isn't the only death in this story. (laughs) There are a couple people who die. (laughs) Period. Period. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, 
If you've read this book, let us know your thoughts. If you haven't, pick it up and then let us know what you think. But happy readings, everybody. The Wayward Podcast is edited by the talented and magnificent Riley Tinlin.